guys. I'm Chelsea. And I'm Jessica. And this is The Hand That Feeds Us. going to address all your burning questions the one on everyone's mind are you eating beaver butts we'll come back to that on everyone's mind (laughs) we'll be coming back to that Um, but we're also going to be discussing artificial natural flavors what's actually in there what are you eating let's find out um so the i always think of artificial flavors as being this you know very new very modern thing but they actually hit the historical the historic record in 1851 i cannot believe that yes. actually can't <laughs> 1851 yes 1851 at the crystal palace in london which was kind of like a precursor to like the world's fair it seems like it was the first um, international exhibition of manufactured products so they had these perfumers. Yeah. So they had these perfumers from different countries that had stalls set up there where people could sample these fruit flavored candies that for the first time were flavored with compounds that had been synthesized in labs. Okay. How, first off, 1851. I think of all of this happening around like industrialization, like mm-hmm. late 1800s, early 1900s. I guess they already had that or maybe it was just like a really primitive form of I mean they were using some of the like industrial byproducts it sounded like at that time too like there was like an alcohol byproduct I think that they mentioned that that, like they had been synthesizing into flavors Um, 1851 yeah so and the flavors at that time were pretty simple like a single chemical or just a couple of chemicals um they were like, you know, diluting things in alcohol. But by the end of the 19th century, it kind of takes off. You have artificial fruit essences and other synthetic flavors in wide use throughout U.S., Germany, France, Britain. And it seemed to kind of grow along with the growth in sugar consumption. Mm, we talked about Those that. little, little candies. Um, so and then between the world wars, the demand for those flavor additives kind of increases further because you're starting to produce more food in factories. And then the processed food is just not as appealing at that, you know, the the texture, the smell, the taste, everything was changed by processing. So you bring in these additives to make it better. And then at the same time, things are being distributed on like a national market. So people are expecting more standardization. So they're expecting consistency and taste no matter Mm -hmm. when or where they buy it. Um, They want the price to stay the same, which if you're dependent on, um, you know, crops and the current price of products you know if something happens with a crop cost could spike like on a vanilla bean for example Mm -hmm. but if you're using artificial vanilla you can kind of keep that price a little bit more constant and it keeps the the flavor better as it's sitting on the shelf essentially and people love that constancy too like Mm -hmm. again I'm a pediatric occupational therapist and I do feeding therapy with kids picky eaters you know we call them it's getting really extreme today how picky certain kids are because Mm -hmm. of the rise of ultra processed foods and stuff but I'm hearing you say this and I'm like this is exactly why kids get so addicted to the foods that they're eating is because it's the same 
they love that rhythm that pattern that constancy they're Mm -hmm. like that like you said artificial flavor or whatever you know if I were to go pick a strawberry that's going to taste totally different from the next strawberry that I eat it could be super sweet it could be tart it could have like a different texture whatever and then the seasonality of it too Mm -hmm. matters so much but here they've created something that universally is like it will taste exactly the same no matter when or where you get it because it's wow. synthesized in a lab. I mean, this is where it started. That's crazy. Yeah. So, and then today that, you know, these flavor combinations are getting a lot more complex. So they can comprise up to a hundred chemicals. And then in addition to the chemicals that are the flavor themselves, they're going to have other things in there like emulsifiers, flavor modifiers, preservatives, um, the solvents that they use to extract the chemical or the, the flavors. So even with like natural flavors it could have been extracted with hexane which we talked previously in our, our seed oil podcast oh it all gosh. you know it just it amazes me how much things kind of pop up repeatedly but so hexane if you haven't tuned into that one yet is a petrochemical solvent um, widely used to extract vegetable oils but it can also be used uh, for producing flavors fragrances natural extracts uh, drugs and nutraceuticals mm-hmm. so like the one caveat caveat is apparently with organic foods you can't they have more restrictions on how the natural flavors could have been produced including what solvent they use but mm-hmm. in general natural flavors can be extracted using things like hexane um, so just something else to keep Ugh. in mind um, <laughs> And then one of the things I thought was interesting, like how they design these flavors, it like one of the things they mentioned, it was an interview with one of these flavor, uh, a fl- what are they called, a flavorist or like a flavor chemist or oh, whatever. It's like a connoisseur of... Yeah, it's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty fancy. But anyways, they were saying that they will specifically design flavors to have like a very short-lived taste. So that you are driven to like eat more and more because like they purposely make it not linger as long on the palate. So they're like targeting that addiction factor that like, oh, you're going to want this over and over and over again because it's not going to last very long. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. It's pretty wild. If you go on their websites, they're, they have great like art and stuff like the pictures and the photos and the descriptions on these big flavor houses. And they're also a lot of them produce like fragrance as well. They're these like flavor fragrance houses and they have these like wild descriptions about, but not like what it is. Like they won't actually tell you what like the chemical is or they'll just be like this is our solution to like change the mouth feel so that it has like, (laughs) like you know, like on your, they were talking about like veggie burgers, right. To like make it have like a more meaty mouthfeel or like in low fat things, you can add this like chemical solution to give it more of the, like the, the creamy factor you would expect in your mouthfeel of like a fatty food or it, it was pretty wild. Just like evil scientists that are like, let's target, you know, <laughs> like I mean, it's brilliant pretty- Frankenstein style. This is what the people want. Let's give it to them. Kind I of mean, thing. it's actually pretty interesting. It's kind of cool. It's fascinating. The like, fact that you can create something like that from nothing. It's like, I mean, wild to me. And then also I think about everything that says natural flavoring or artificial Mm -hmm. or whatever flavorings everything like oh it isn't everything yeah everything even like the organic stuff and apparently in like the artificial flavor will sometimes be the exact same chemical as the natural flavor it's like the source and how they're extracted because they'll isolate the specific chemical that gives or the specific um yeah I guess like chemical in like a strawberry for example that gives the the strawberry flavor they're looking for and then they can isolate that out and that's what the flavoring will be Oh my goodness. Like vanillin, I guess, is the artificial vanilla extract, but it's also 
there is like it, it mimics like the actual real I think I'm just chemical. like still blown that like 1850 like yeah. this is like you know like forget the telephone we're not even close to that yet we're still I don't even think we have Morse code I don't know we're mailing letters <laughs> I have no idea we're mailing letters but here we are and we're like I can start isolating these specific flavors and synthetically produce them to create mouth feels and taste and I'm like what like that's crazy to me I still <laughs> I just think it's crazy yeah so what are these flavors exactly um <clears throat> so flavors are volatile organic chemicals that's what a flavor is apparently mm. um and they can be categorized as artificial flavors spices or natural flavors spices what you would expect it to be like herbs things like that um natural flavor and artificial flavor though the, the definitions I think are they're super clear so much clarity after you hear these definitions just you know so a natural flavor I'm just gonna read it to you because it's super wordy so the term natural flavor means the essential oil oleoresin essence or extractive protein hydrolysate distillate or any product of roasting heating or enzymo enzymolysis hmm. which contains the flavoring constituents derived from a spice fruit fruit juice vegetable vegetable juice edible yeast herb bark bud root leaf or similar plant material meat seafood poultry eggs dairy products or fermentation products thereof whose significant function in food is flavoring rather than nutritional so basically anything any flavor that is derived from a starting product of like a plant or animal product or animal. So anything. Anything that is derived from this. <laughs> yeah. And then an artificial flavor, though. Here's where it really gets clear. Is any substance, the function of which is to impart flavor, which is not derived from everything I just listed. Okay, great. So, so yeah. everything else. So it, anything, any flavor that comes from something that is not a spice, fruit, plant, <laughs> or animal product and which was the first one is any flavor that's derived from basically a plant or animal product okay, so so literally anything else in the world though that would be a artificial flavor so natural derived artificial anything else right? yeah that's okay. pr that's pretty much it uh, and then flavors are regulated by the fda and then they split flavors into two categories. They're either generally recognized as safe or GRAS or um, food additives, which need to be the food additives specifically require an application process to the FDA that they have to approve. Now, what's the def? And whereas the generally recognized as safe things do not require, they're, they're already just approved essentially. Mm -hmm. um, so, what's the difference between the two? Well, not really anything. A food additive. <laughs> Is defined as any substance, the intended use of which results or may reasonably be expected to result, and it's becoming a component um, or affecting the characteristic of any food. Um, if such substance is not GRAS, generally recognized as safe, or sanctioned prior to 1958, or otherwise excluded from the <laughs> definition of food additives. Prior to so basically like 1958... Um, the FDA gets the authority to regulate flavors under this Food Additives um, and Amendment Act. And they decided at that point that anything from before like 1958 was basically just like grandfathered in as you can use it and it's safe. Mm. Um, so anything from before that or that they put on this generally recognized as safe list doesn't require any direct application to the FDA. Anything else you would have to have them approve as a food additive. And then, so where does this generally recognized as safe list come from? We always love the general generally recognized as safe list, right? I feel like yeah. that's popped up in everything. And also that list, I'm like, generally recognized as safe. Yeah. So this is like another area. Mean? I always, like, I pick this 
when I first picked this topic, I'm like, this is going to be straightforward. But then it gets so murky. Always. Like, I had a really hard time teasing out, like, exactly who is regulating what. So uh, the, the FDA gets the regulatory authority in 1958. But then there's other this other organization at that time, the Flavor and Extract Manufacturers Association of the United States, or FEMA. <laughs> yeah, like a little duplicate with a name there. But um, anyway, so FEMA is basically a trade organization comprised of flavor manufacturers, flavor users, flavor ingredient suppliers, and just anyone involved basically in the U.S. flavor industry. So what I found is that it seems that they were I'm unclear how involved the FDA was in the original like generally recognized as safe list in 1958 but from at least after 1958 FEMA is responsible for deciding they have a panel that is responsible for deciding if something qualifies as generally recognized as safe so the FDA was like we're gonna take this off our plate give it to you you figure it out basically all the secondary sources that i was finding discussing this and like what happened historically were saying that like yeah essentially the fda was like "Mm, this is like too much we're gonna delegate this out to fema to so we'll get all the food additives but they can decide what's generally recognized as safe and they like supposedly have a panel the fema has a panel of independent experts who like are responsible for deciding whether a flavor qualifies but that also seems like a huge conflict of interest. Yeah. Like you're basically self-regulating. Like we create, use, distribute these flavors, but we're also going to decide yeah. if they're safe. It's like back in our first episode, we were talking about, you know, the USDA and like their board of members. It's made up of all the people who are making money from the decisions mm-hmm. that they're making. So it's like, I mean, if you're making something from money from something, are you going to say, no, you can't use this? Let's get rid of it. Probably not. Also, FDA handed it off. So how much are they actually overseeing this? And the FDA, I feel like, kind of hands a lot of things off. I mean, in my sunscreen episode, like, Mm -hmm. they're just like, hey, guys, figure it out. Like, bring it back to us. We'll let you know if we like it or not. Like, I'm kind of shocked that they're not just doing that with everything at this point. Like, I I mean, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a huge umbrella. I get that. There's only so much they can do, you know, in order to keep things moving. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're just going to be constantly studying things. Well, and I think what's hard with flavors is like there are these like incredibly complicated, complicated, like chemical amalgamations, basically, it sounds like. And you'd have to have such specialists to be able to even analyze and decide that. And then they're all like trade secrets. So even if you want to know what's in your artificial or natural flavor, like they don't have to disclose it. Anything, any flavor that has more than one ingredient, they are allowed to just put artificial and natural flavors, depending on which one, you know, applies or like spices. Yeah. And like, oh man, I have so many questions and no answers. (laughs) Yeah. No, I thought it was very frustrating that there's that it's just not at all transparent and and that's my big issue with it I'm not like oh all artificial and natural flavors must be like terrible or like yeah, I, I mean, highly doubt really that just don't know but I don't like the like like the hiding things that you can't you, the consumer doesn't even have the ability to find that information if they want to yeah and it goes so far beyond like imitation vanilla like you know okay Oh, I only buy pure vanilla. Okay, well, if you buy anything, even organic stuff, you look at the back, what is natural flavorings? Like, it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. I mean, I 
I mean, it's shocking really. Even like when I'm making like a good conscious choice for an item, I, I see it on their natural. It, you see, I feel like natural flavorings more in the kind of crunchy sphere than you do artificial just mm-hmm. because, and I don't know if there's like a rule on what you can and can't use, but it kind of seems like some places don't care. They just use artificial flavorings. And then other places are like, oh, natural flavorings. Like, well, some of what I was finding is that they can be very like they can be identical, essentially, okay. um, like on a chemical level. It's just what they're derived from. But um, there you can get more money, essentially, for selling natural flavors yeah. if you're a producer, because consumers like to see natural because natural makes them feel better. Right. But natural isn't a regulated term. Yeah. In, so like, it's just yeah. like like you were saying at the very beginning, like those two terms, like I mean, it doesn't really sound like there's a huge discrepancy between which yeah. is which and how they're determined. But as a consumer, like I would, I would go for a natural flavoring. Yeah, because it sounds better. And like, so natural flavor is regulated, but the like the FDA, USDA, they haven't set a specific de- definition for natural. Yeah. So that could mean you know you know essentially what natural flavor means, but it leaves a lot of room for. And everybody's like, using natural. Yeah. Like everybody. Like you go and you're like, here's a natural rotisserie chicken. I'm like, well, what's an unnatural rotisserie yeah. chicken? <laughs> like, I'm like, I don't know what that means. So I don't know. Yeah. So and then there's – we I, I did find an article talking about some of these actually getting pulled too from use. So some mm. of these uh, synthetic flavorings specifically. So in 2018, the FDA removed seven synthetic flavoring substances from their food additives list. Um. And so the only reason, though, was they received a petition from some private organizations, like Environmental Working Group, those those sorts of groups. There was a, like a cancer organization. It was like 12 different groups that presented them a petition showing a study that linked uh, these six synthetic substances with cancer and lab animals in their study. Mm. And so there's apparently something called the Delaney Clause um, that – came about in 1958 with the um was it it's part of the federal food drug and cosmetic act and it requires that the fda um, cannot find as safe any food additive that has been found to induce cancer in humans or animals at any dose Hmm. so but the fda released this whole statement saying like all of our testing shows these things are fine like we have no concerns we're just legally required to pull them because of this petition and this study and they're like, but in this study, the animals were exposed at much higher doses. You know, these, how the low levels are used at are safe. Um, but when you're testing like animals versus humans, it's not going to be a direct comparison. But my concern always comes with, okay, yes, if like this one substance at this low level in one food serving is okay, but are we considering that it's in everything and you don't know because you don't know what artificial and natural flavors are in each thing you're eating? Yeah. Or like, just cumulative environmental um, exposure to different cancer-causing substances. I mean, this is everything we talk about, right? Like, even, like, in the seed oils episode or, I mean, all of the episodes we've talked about, it's, like, that limitation, that testing of that one thing in that one controlled environment, okay, this is safe. But, like, we're consuming this on such a large level, and if every single product has that amount in it, cumulatively speaking, that's going to equate to a larger amount. So what does that do to us? Like, yeah, and are you considering that in your like in your decision that it's safe? Right. Yeah. And then what I thought was also kind of wild. Like I understand this from like an economic standpoint. So they gave 
the FDA allowed 24 months from the rule being published for companies to reformulate their food products that contain this. And so I understand why you don't want to like bring everything to a grinding halt, like cause these companies to like go under because they have to change their product formulation. Mm -hmm. However, 24 months is a long time, especially when you're talking about something that doesn't have to be disclosed to the public on the ingredient label. Oh yeah. So let's say like I read this and I'm like, I don't want to eat these things. Um, so let me avoid them. Well, I can't because it's a trade secret and all I know is there's natural and artificial flavors. So my only recourse is to avoid all of them. Oh yeah. Um, which is an option, but like, otherwise you could be exposed to it for two more years, whether you think it's a concern or not. And I agree with that because I'm, I don't know if we talked about this in an episode, but we've talked about it a lot is that recent article that came out about California signing into law, the banning of those four chemicals. It was Mm -hmm. the, um, brominated vegetable oil, brominated vegetable oil, Mm -hmm. BBO, (laughs) I know, (laughs) uh, potassium bromate, propyl paraben, and then red dye. I can't remember which number it was. Um, number three. So all four of those are banned. I want, they made that until 2027 that the companies that have that in their product, it's not being pulled from the shelves until then Mm -hmm. they have that many years to change it. That's, that's a long time. Yeah. You know, and at least in that situation though, it's listed on the ingredient label. That was my, that was my point. At least for now, in the meantime, yes, it's, it's on the shelves for a long years, but like you just said, like, I can go and look at a, you know, ingredient list and hopefully remember what all four of these are called <laughs> and be like, oops, that's on there. Definitely red dye. I mean, I feel like universally speaking, if something says red dye, I'm not going to buy it regardless mm-hmm. or dye of any kind, but like brominated vegetable oil, that's in a lot of stuff, like a lot of stuff. So, and that's not something I think I would have looked out for other than I try to not eat things that say vegetable oil on them yeah um so yeah really I I at least like that like you were saying it's all about the transparency yeah it sucks that these things are in our food and they're not good for us and they do bad things but thank you for at least telling us versus this other world we're living in with this Mm -hmm. where it's like come on just just give it up tell me I'm all for like if you have the information and you want to do something you do you yeah like that's fine more power to you but if I read this study and I'm concerned, which like I find these things concerning. I want to be able to do something about it. Yeah. Informed consent is very important. Yeah. All right. We're going to change gears here for a second. We're going to bring it back to the moment you've been waiting for. Beaver butts. (laughs) We're going to address it. All right. So the whole time you've been talking about this, she brought this up a couple weeks ago and she was like, I'm going to talk about beaver butts. And I was like, Uh, Jessica, (laughs) first off, what? And then like Sean understood what you were talking about. So then I never asked why you were bringing up beaver butts or like what that has to do with artificial flavorings and whatever. And I was like, I hope she explains because why else would I ever talk about a beaver butt? Like, where did that come from? So there was this thing going around the internet about beaver butts and how they were being used to, to make artificial vanilla flavoring. And like, I kept seeing it being shared everywhere. And it was like this big thing, like, ew, gross. Beaver butts are in your artificial vanilla flavoring. I mean, it's like a sausage casing situation where like, you know, sausage was supposed to have been in the organs of the animals. And then we were like, ew, that's gross. And then we synthetically produced them. So I'm like, is that what this is, I guess? I don't Um, know. No. So, so essentially we'll, we'll start with the beaver butt thing first. Okay. So what they're talking about is something called castorium. Hmm. Um, And so it's not actually from beaver butts. 
It's from the castor sacs, which are right next to the anal glands, to oh, be fair. So but, it's technically a beaver butt. <laughs> eh, beaver butt adjacent. Okay. Um, so <laughs> they have this uh, yellowish oily fluid in the castor glands, and um, it gets like the fragrance in it from the plants that the beavers eat, and they like spray it to mark their territory. Huh. But apparently it smells wonderful. Um, what? Yeah. So it, it has been used historically in like vanilla and raspberry flavored foods. Um, but so it would actually be considered a natural flavor and it's on the generally recognized as safe list. So okay. castorium is a valid natural flavoring. Yeah. So that part is true that like it could be a flavor in food. Right. But it's not from their butts and it's not artificial. Well, it's butt adjacent. Yeah, it's butt adjacent. And then also the question is, are we eating it? Well, we'll get to that. Okay. So um, interestingly, it was very popular back in the day, at least. So the demand for castorium actually wiped out most of the beavers in Europe by the end oh. of the Middle Ages. Oh um, and then when people like Europeans settled North America, they started doing beavers became a trade for fur hats um, and perfume uh perfume tradesmen or whatever started using castorium for fragrance and at that um in the early 20th century a lot of the people doing flavorings just started borrowing from the perfume industry so they started using castorium and food as well um and it could be found previously in beverages baked goods ice cream candy chewing gum all those things also fun fact um Cigarette manufacturers like Philip Morris and R.J. Reynolds dusted their tobacco with dried castorium uh, to give it like a very like high end aroma. Um, And so from what I found, like in uh, the 1980s, the use of castorium starts. I hope I'm saying that right. I'm assuming we're going with castorium. It starts to lag. So in 1982, according to FEMA, that. Um, flavoring organization we mentioned earlier 683 pounds of castorium were used for flavoring in the United States by 1987 it had dropped to just under 250 pounds um, and then I wasn't able to find any more recent statistics than that and then supposedly it's been largely phased out of cigarette usage as well but I did go on the RJ Reynolds website and I didn't know this but they list all their ingredients for their cigarettes um, so they have this long um, list that has like everything that could be used in their cigarettes and castorium is still listed on there. But then they also break it down by um, every single brand and like subtype within that brand of cigarettes that they sell. And I went through this morning and read every single ingredient label because I'm, <laughs> I'm like out of my mind. Um, <laughs> but I just had to know and I did not see castorium on there. However, Almost all of them did have natural and artificial flavors in them. Mm. So I don't know if it could be buried under that label. Yeah. Because it is technically a natural flavor. Do you ever feel like in this like health and wellness space, like we try to do things quote unquote naturally, but in cases like this where we like wipe out all the beavers of Europe because we're quote unquote using like this natural beaver oil for things that like they're it kind of it kind of is like sobering it like brings you back to remembering like yes it's important to do things naturally and also it can be sometimes just as destructive right when we like yeah. overdo it I've never really thought of it that way until you just said that I was like so maybe like a replacement for that wouldn't be terrible because obviously we don't want to like kill all the beavers they're like so necessary for our ecosystems I've been reading about beavers while she's been talking and 
I was scrolling through cute little pictures of beavers and they're very, they're very invasive and they Mm -hmm. can be such a nuisance. I mean, my parents know this on their farm and they build dams and water gets blocked and blah, 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 blah. But they're like really necessary for the development of wetlands. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here we are trying to quote unquote use natural flavors. And then we're just destroying like, you know, all the beavers. I did start reading about nuisance beavers though. Yeah. When I was researching they're this. They're just so busy. So, cause, like, they're working so hard. So, because it seems that, like, castorium is not used in any kind of significant amount at this time. So, to answer the question earlier, no, you're probably not, nor have you probably ever eaten castorium. Mm-hmm. Unless you went out of your way for it. Um, because it's just going to be, like, more, like, cheaper, easier, more consistent to have artificial vanilla flavoring. Yeah. Things like that. Um, and vegan. <laughs> well, because I think they have to like take those kind of things into consideration too. I would imagine oh, yeah. if they're trying to label things is like because apparently part of the reason it was phased out because was because it wasn't kosher, which I don't think has anything to do with veganism. But my point is like these like small amounts of things that we're using for mm-hmm. flavoring could potentially change the like marketability of a product. Right. Oh, that's um, interesting. But so it's, it's pretty much died out. But you can try Castorium if you want to. <laughs> so I found this um, Tamworth Distilling. They make a bourbon that's flavored with Castorium. Apparently <laughs> they saw it on the generally recognized as safe list and they decided to make it. They make some like kind of like funky flavors and stuff. Is it like a really um, big company or is it like a small? They had a bunch of news like releases where they've been ranked in on like top distilleries to visit and stuff. It was was in New Hampshire or something, somewhere in New England, Tamworth distilling. Tamworth. So it's currently sold out, but I was looking at it a couple of like a couple of weeks ago and it was available then. So I'm guessing they release it in small batches. Huh. Interesting. So you could get that. And apparently they get all their caster sacks from this guy who is responsible for going in and removing uh, invasive beavers. Okay. So they're trying to do it in a way that, like, they feel is balanced, I guess. Well, because they're beavers that would have been, yeah. you know, taken out anyways. Yeah, they're, like, going to use it in a way that's meaningful to the death of that beaver. Yeah. And apparently it goes a long way. There was something like um, one, like, beaver's caster sacks or whatever <laughs> made 500 bottles of it or something like that. Oh, my gosh. So it's pretty potent stuff. That is crazy. Also, I'm on their website right now. Their bottles are really pretty. Yeah, it's they, they have a great aesthetic. Yeah. And they have, like, some huh. fish-flavored one now. They have some, like, wild stuff what? on there. But I kind of want to try the Castorium. Yeah. Now. Not because, w- Would I mean, you try it? I would try it. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if they're doing it in like a semi-responsible way and it's a natural derivative of something that's already there, um, yeah, I try it. I mean, I still I still want to support the beaver too. So maybe not on a large scale, but I would try a bottle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that was just, you know, to answer the questions on Castorium and to let you know, you can try it if you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, but other things on, you know, a more serious note to consider with flavors, um, both artificial and natural. Uh, you know, we talked about how they're used in everything, you know, with our food, coffee, beverages, all that, like those sparkling waters, natural flavors. Um, but a place that we don't always think about, but it's it's still present and important to consider and read labels are medications drugs Mm. so like if you look at like you know acetaminophen like tylenol or whatever it has um you know food dyes in it but it also has artificial flavors and i was looking at the label and it just says flavors Hmm. so you don't know what you're getting you know and there are all 
are alternatives out there that are more transparent. So yeah. I'm personally trying to avoid those things. Like they, I use uh, Genexa is the brand I've been using. Cause they okay. use, um, they don't use artificial flavorings. It's like organic blueberry syrup and like agave oh. nectar to flavor it. I think don't That's quote me. Kind of like I just like read my toothpaste, the mm-hmm. new toothpaste I've been trying. I like recently read the label on the back. It has like stevia leaf and like a peppermint oil and like things like that. Versus, like, I'm assuming what would have been on my other toothpaste, like, artificial natural flavorings. Yeah. So. So I just think it's cool that people are getting more aware, too, and it's creating a demand for these products mm-hmm. so that you even have the option. Because um, just saying, oh, I'm never going to take it is probably not, at least for me, I don't think that's a realistic option. Yeah. Um. So I like that I can have these alternatives in there. But just something to think about when you're or even just you know pills they have like dyes in them they might they use flavorings to mask the taste and things Mm -hmm. and once again they don't have to disclose exactly what they're using it can just say color flavor right um so one uh thing that i found where there's kind of a pushback on a regulatory level with uh flavors is um, the fda proposed has proposed prohibiting uh, menthol cigarettes and flavored cigars Uh, So I thought this was interesting. I kind of wanted to dive into it because their whole argument for why they want to do this is to prevent like the youth from getting started on smoking because they feel they'll be encouraged by these like fun flavors and things or like the fact that it makes it slightly more, I guess, palatable, if you will, to smoke. It's like the whole Um, anti-vaping movement. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, all of our kids are vaping or what's it called? The the jewels or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because of the flavors, I guess, is what they're saying. And I read some articles on that, too, that like none of these flavors have been studied in um, for inhalation. Oh. So we don't like we don't know. You're inhaling all these artificial flavors, but nothing's been like all the testing has been more in like oral ingestion, not inhalation. Um, But yeah, so they're arguing we need to get rid of menthol and flavored cigars to get the kids to not start smoking. And to help adults quit so we can decrease cancer rates and tobacco-related death, Mm -hmm. Um, which I personally just don't think that would work anyways. Yeah. But the reason I bring this up is I just think it's really interesting that we're targeting flavorings in cigarettes and cigars for the reason that they appeal to kids. They make kids start doing it when it's bad for them. They make it harder for adults to quit, and it's bad for them. Well, why are we not turning this, um, this like this attention to the same ke- the same exact chemicals with the same exact properties in ultra processed foods? Yeah, like nobody is going to argue that ultra processed foods are good for you or that they're not like addictive. They're not targeted to kids. Mm-hmm. But we're not addressing that. We're addressing it in cigarettes and cigars only. Yeah, like why? Out of all the things that should like grab our attention and I mean there's such a big anti-smoking movement in America too like I feel like it's drastically decreased the amount of people that are participating in smoking mm-hmm. but everyone is eating ultra processed foods everyone yeah. I whole... think that makes it an easier target though too because oh, yeah. everybody's already like yeah yeah they're bad you can Shame. just go after them that's fine right yeah so. I think smoking's fascinating I've never smoked in my life because smoke agitates me I actually can like vomit from it oh geez it's crazy I became like allergic to it around like the age of 14 um I remember like on the 4th of July like becoming ill and then even now still like if I'm around somebody smoking or like a campfire or if the kitchen gets too congested my eyes will start to swell my throat will start to swell and then I become really nauseous super weird I don't know um but I'm just fascinated by it because everything's like 
this kind of started in grad school when we were talking in my neuro class about like receptors in the brain and nicotine and how that interacts with those nicotinic receptors, blah, 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 blah. Basically, I got really interested in understanding, okay, but we're, are we isolating these different parts in the cigarette and in the cigar and testing that against all these like illnesses that we're claiming smoking occurs? Because smoking's been around for hundreds of thousands mm. of years. Or if I were to take one of those like organically rolled naturally, like no glyphosate. If I grew tobacco in my own backyard. Well, even then your soil's contaminated. <laughs> well, yeah. So like your water that you're, <laughs> you're watering it with. But like if, you know, is it, is it the product itself in its entirety or have should we have isolated this into parts and been like, you know, maybe smoking's not great for you. Obviously, putting smoke into your lungs, well, no, I don't think personally I believe will ever be great for you, but could all of this extremism that's happened to our health because of smoking be caused by these other things like menthol and artificial flavorings and colorings and fancy things that are, you know, and then think about how it's harvested and it's cropped and like, you know, we're glyphosating all of our things and there's pesticides and herbicides mm -hmm. and there's plastics in the wrappings. And, you know, like I, I just, I think of that kind of place, even with something as like sinister as smoking. And I'm like, yeah, there's so many factors and so many, you can't isolate the problem from you know, one another. It's like, mm -hmm. it's, it's all just one mixed muddled mess. So I find that stuff really, really fascinating, um, particularly with smoking. And, um, we were talking before this too, we have both of our grandparents worked on tobacco farms when they were well, kids. Not, not worked on just, well, well, my, my grandfather was his family literally ran the whole farm. That was it. He started working. He was like three years old and he remembers from a young age, like, you get it done. That was like their priority in their family. He was like, he had his role on the farm and like, I mean, he didn't get paid. It was a family mm -hmm. thing. You know, they, they, that's all they had him, the three kids, his dad and his mom and the big, big farm. And they had to, you know, pull and till and do all of those things. And I just wonder, I'm like, what's the difference between then and even like before then and then now, like the quality of those things and like the cancer causing agents, like it just mm -hmm. makes you wonder like how much has it changed? I'm going to have to ask. I don't know. Yeah. My, my grandma grew up on a tobacco farm too, and mm -hmm. I'll have to ask her. I mean, I'm sure she doesn't re remember what they were like spraying or not spraying, but I'm I know, curious yeah. if they were spraying anything. Same. I want to, I'm going to have to go talk to him and be like, Hey, I know she wasn't out doing all the like, yeah. Laboring with the tobacco. So <laughs> like she was like far less hands-on than my grandfather had to be. Um, yeah. So I'll be, <laughs> I would have to ask her. That's a good question. Yeah. We'll write that down and we'll both go and ask them and then we'll report back on that. Cause I just find it fascinating. I don't know. It makes you wonder even things like that, you know, what's, what's causing the issue really at the root of it all. So I don't know if we'll ever know, but well, we won't even know what's in our artificial and natural flavors I apparently. Oh my so with that said, <laughs> are you going to eat artificial and natural flavors? I'm going to be honest right now. I I, if I see artificial flavors on something, I don't buy it. Yeah. So I'm like that person that the marketing is targeting. <laughs> marketing is targeting. Okay. That's fine. Marketing is targeting. I don't know. Um, if it says natural sometimes, because quite frankly, I look at my brands, I shrink down the ingredients. I'm like, okay, I know exactly what this says. There's no like mumbo jumbo on here. Mm -hmm. I don't understand. Um, but even like the quote unquote cleanest, 
processed products that I can buy, like my replacements have natural flavorings on it. And they may be fine. I think that's kind of the wild thing. Like it might be something totally benign. And that's why sometimes I'm like, okay, whatever. Cause quite, I don't eat a lot of packaged foods. You know, I mean there, we buy things every now and then that like are really hard to make on your own or if I'm in a pinch for time. So I, I try to come up with like the healthiest alternative that I can, but I don't know what it means. Like I know, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm thinking of like a beaver butt. And I'm like a natural flavoring. Like, you know, I'm like, if mm-hmm. it's coming from a source of nature, maybe it's not that bad for me. But like, because we don't know what it is and there's no clarity mm-hmm. disclosed to us, then I don't know. I I mean, I will probably keep buying, but I think I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing now. I, I don't like artificial anything really, even yeah. though like it gets such a bad rap, but there's like, you know, that whatever that mental thing is, that yeah, warfare. That, association with what that word means. Yeah. Like, I'm just like, eh. I don't need it. I, I can get the same thing in another way. But natural flavorings, I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever know. Yeah, I think that I'm going to be even more, like, intense about trying to avoid those. Like, not and like I said, it's not because I think they're all bad. It's just I'm really bothered by not being able to know yeah, what like I'm just eating. just tell me. Yeah, so I, I don't like that. I mean, I think the hardest thing for me is flavored coffees because I love flavored coffees they're so good but now I'm like ah I guess I need to stop so well I'll try and pull away that's like the coffee creamer shenanigan that has you know terrorized your family this year with Sean and I I took away his coffee creamer see I drink it black so I like I really want my coffee to taste good yeah I don't put anything yeah in my coffee and then your parents were like oh like (laughs) family members were talking to other family members and they were like you know have you ever read the back of your coffee creamer yeah, mass what is exodus away from mass produced coffee creamer in the, we the family all, we all were just like oh no I don't know what that means and I mean if you artificial natural flavorings is the least of your worries on the back of a coffee creamer <laughs> to be honest but when you don't see cream as an ingredient on your coffee creamer you have a real problem so we learned how to make it there are no quote-unquote artificial or natural flavors in ours um but there's some flavors that like, I, I try my best, but I can't reproduce that. You know what I mean? Because it's probably made out of a lab produced. I know. Like one that's <laughs> going to taste exactly the same every time. Yeah. Like, it's hard to compete with that. It is hard to compete with that. It's like we, you know, we're only so good and we're not well, artificially and good. Like <laughs> engineered these flavors. Like they even say this in the interviews with the, the flavorists and stuff. They're like, they are engineered to taste better and bolder than the natural version of the same thing. So I mean, how do so you your stop? Palate you just is, want it. Yeah, because you, you've experienced all these like intense flavors and it's hard to compete with yeah. natural when yeah. you've had these like super souped up synthesized flavors. It's like kind of sad. There's like such a give and take here because it's also like really incredible and fascinating that science has been able to do that. The fact that we have the ability for as long as we have for hundreds of years to have like created this, it's like wild. Um and then at the same time, it's like, oh my gosh, but then it takes away from the natural experience of it. And mm-hmm. then what's it doing to our health? And like, are we being lied to or is there nothing to be lied to about? We don't know because where's the, you know, informed portion of this? Like the clarity, the the screen lifted from our eyes where we know exactly what we're consuming. I mean, it's just, it's just not there with artificial natural flavorings, unfortunately, except for beaver butts. Well, they're they're still not disclosing on the label. I know. But, oh man. But, okay, I thought I got it. But we have <laughs> taken away some of the mystery. We've cleared the smoke. You're probably not eating beaver butts. 
rest that's your 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 calming thought for the day yeah rest easy <laughs> tonight right if you were worried about the uh, beaver but adjacent yes, component to adjacent this. yes adjacent on that note let's move into the curiosity quarter Oh, goodness. Um, You might have to start us because I don't know what I've been curious about on this one. All right. I'll start us off. So (laughs) mine, like, has been – mine's not really, like, food or really – it's not really on on topic for us at all, actually. It's just something I've been thinking a lot about lately. Um, So I'm moving, as we've talked about five million times, and I've been getting really hyped up about – like hiking. So I, I'm really into hiking. I like national parks. I like all that stuff. Right. And this week I've been, I've actually been reading a book on the history of Kings Canyon national park because oh, that's yeah, cool. when my parents came out to California to visit us, we went to uh, Yosemite Kings Canyon and Sequoia. My dad likes to get these like history books at each place. And I had read most of them, but I hadn't finished Kings Canyon yet. So I want to finish it while I'm here in Virginia. This is related slightly, I promise. So while I was reading this and talking about all these epic treks that, you know, the original explorers of Kings Canyon went on, it got me thinking about hiking and getting excited for all that stuff again. So I, in between researching artificial and natural flavors, because let's be real, that's mostly what I've done with my free time this week. I started um, looking at different hikes in Hawaii that we're going to do. Yeah, so that's really what I've been thinking about lately. And I think that it is, it is on brand for what we talk about because it's getting outside you're getting your your sunlight exposure your fresh air your exercise like and after you buy all of these expensive organic grass-fed etc (laughs) etc groceries with no artificial and natural flavors there's not gonna be much money left probably because they're so (laughs) expensive so you need some cheap accessible slash free activities yeah free recreation yeah I love that check out your local hikes they don't have to be like scaling that's the word I'm looking for scaling a mountain they could Mm -hmm. just be walking down the local like nature paths next to your house but it's good for you it's fun and that's what I've been obsessing about this week I am gonna live vicariously through you one of my favorite things about living in LA when I was there was that you literally I mean you're in the middle of the city Mm -hmm. walk outside your door and then you can climb a mountain it was I mean all the rage while I was there it was the weirdest thing you're hiking a mountain at like 8 a.m. You climb down to the bottom, go to your car in the parking lot, and then you're at brunch like 20 minutes later. It was so weird, but it was so nice because I didn't feel like I had to pay to go to some workout class. Mm-hmm. Everybody could go together. Like it, like you said, it was free. It was beautiful. I mean, the views alone, I was like, I mean, none of us get outside as much as we should. So it was just a really cool opportunity mm-hmm. to, to do that. And I don't have that here in Virginia. I mean, I have a lot of places I can walk, so it's not like, you know, I'm, but, I'm on flat land and... Yeah, you could drive a ways to get to a mountain. Yeah, but we do have a lot of, like, parks, and I, especially, my workplace is really, really close to the Arboretum near us, so I love getting to go over there on, like, my lunch break or whatever, first thing in the morning, and I feel like everybody has something around them that they can do like that, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, some sort of a way that you can get out and, like, get into nature. Not maybe like you would in Hawaii but oh it's gonna be wild oh stay tuned for epic pictures on our Instagram I was gonna say you're gonna have to post so many pictures and videos we're gonna have to just live vicariously through you well and these hikes are gonna be like the really intense ones because 
my um my mom's gonna be out there initially when we move so we're taking the taking advantage of being able to go um just my husband and I hiking (laughs) so normally we carry our son on all the hikes yeah so we're gonna do some of the more wild ones so that'll be fun oh my gosh you guys are gonna be (laughs) I would be it's always funny I saw this um reel the other day that was like how you think you're gonna feel about hiking and then there's like oh it's just so beautiful and la 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 you're like glistening lightly Mm -hmm. and whatever and then how you actually feel and it's just like expletives I'm just yeah. like have you're you, just like so angry and tired it's so good <laughs> have you heard of type b fun no so I'm a huge proponent of type b fun so type a fun is like obviously it's fun in the moment you know like watching a movie like laying on the beach type a fun type b fun is like in the moment it's kind of terrible you're like suffering. like everything's awful but like once it's over you're like oh it was the greatest experience oh my gosh that's so let's like you know the whole workout psych component of it it's like I hate working out while I'm working out and then when I'm done working out I love working out it's like the same thing kind of right like but like I don't well if you find working out fun I don't after I finish I'm not usually like oh world's greatest experience oh, I've got okay. like the endorphin rush but I'm t- but like that's how you feel with hiking yeah yeah no kind of the same thing okay. but like you get like the view and like I don't know you I know guess what? I mentally separate them but I think to don't, your point it's the same don't discredit hiking hiking is an exercise that's a workout that's exhausting no well that's true it is really oh. just I guess I'm thinking of exercise in a gym. I don't consider type B fun because well, it's not really my jam. Fun. Yeah. But, you know, hiking is exercise, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, yeah, depending on what trail you do. Especially the way you guys are about to do it. Mm. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Get that heart rate up. Love type B fun. Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, I'm not like laying like a turtle on the side. Like, <laughs> no, like when I, I did the Inca trail, which was some serious type B fun because it's just oh, like no. hiking uphill at elevation for like the whole day. Do it for several days. But I would be, like, in my little, like, trekking backpack, which I overpacked because it was my first time, like, carrying, like, all my stuff with me. And I was just, like, laying on the rocks. But I didn't (laughs) want to take my backpack off because that was, like, too much effort. So I was just kind of, like, turtled balancing on it, like, gasping for air. Type B fun. Would do it again. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So (laughs) I like type B fun, but I don't think I like type B fun the way that you like type B fun. So that'll be, yeah. I don't know if I could ever, I mean, I don't know. I say I don't know if I ever could, and then I end up doing stuff, and then I'm like, okay, cool. I don't know. You're you're wild. (laughs) Next level stuff here. For me, I'm curious this week about something in my backyard um, because I'm not going to Hawaii. (laughs) Um, I've talked about this before, but composting I cannot stand how much I'm throwing away. So the reason it's relevant right now is because it's so beautiful outside and all the leaves are falling. And I talk about them all the time, but Sean wants to rake all of them and put them in plastic bags and dispose of them. And I'm like, but nature needs these leaves. All the little bugs and critters are living under them. Also, we've been working on really hard. We got a pool put in. So we're trying to grow our soil or our um, grass back and, you know, re-nourish our soil and everything. And I'm just like, those leaves, that's free soil. Do you know how expensive soil is? I, I feel like I talk about this all the time. It's like $50 a bag these days for oh organic gosh. soil. Yeah, it's so frustrating. And I have my garden beds. And I'm trying to grow my garden more and more and more. So anyway, I was like, well, if I could get all of these leaves together and put them in like, I don't know, maybe I'll get my raised beds sooner rather than later, but put them in them and break them down. Maybe I could, maybe that's how I can organically start my own compost because I just don't see a world in which shoving leaves in a bag 
And then putting that bag on the side of the road and then getting in my car and then driving to the store and then buying a bag of soil makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Um, So anyway, so I bought some paper bags. So now when we're mowing all of the grass clippings and what would have been all of our leaves, I'm going to try to save some before then, are going to go in the paper bag. If you leave it open aired in the paper bag, it can help it decompose. It can help it dry out. Then you can add it to your own soil with some green clippings and your vegetables and things from your kitchen. Obviously, people are like, yeah, duh. Have you ever heard of composting before? But I was like, this is one way that in the middle of this season, I'm like, I really need to make a change because... I just, I feel like we got to get over this whole leaf thing and our like obsession with pretty neat yards. You've already heard my, you know, I go on a tangent about fescue. Don't even get me started. It's like (laughs) the weakest grass on the planet that everybody loves because it makes their yards look beautiful. Anyway, I want to be resourceful. And if I can find a way to use what I already have to create a product that I'm thereby having to pay for, that to me is like financial freedom. I think this is also just great marriage advice. Compromise. He yeah. gets this beautiful grass. You get your compost. Okay, like, that's true. You're really a, you're a therapist is what it is. Oh, my gosh. See, I never thought of it that way. But, yes, I'm trying to. I know he wants his pretty yard. I don't really care about that. I mean, we need grass. Otherwise, the runoff is insane and the soil mm-hmm. just flies out into the, you know, street. And then my neighbors are mad. But at the same time, like, I, I present it as, oh, look, it's saving us money. You're not going to have to buy me as much soil. Look, like we're, we're putting <laughs> nutrients back into all these things. Um, and it, essentially it's free. I mean, the tree's not even in our yard. So, I mean, I'm going to take all those. <laughs> so that's all I'm into right now. I've been trying to look at ways to preserve our grass clippings so that I can use them because putting them in plastic bags just molds them. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. that when that gets dumped into a landfill, that's probably also not good for the decomposition process. So I'm like, what's a better way that we can decompose like our waste? And I'd love to learn it now while things are dying. So that mm-hmm. when the summer comes, you know, you might actually have some soil slash yeah. like there's less going on right now that you're trying to like figure out and manage and yeah. focus in on just the soil. Yeah. Not having to keep up with you know, the grass that grows every day in the summertime. Maybe by then we'll be like pros and we'll just be cranking out some soil. I don't know how long that takes, but I don't know. Never, never was successful. So I need to learn from you. Yeah, I don't, I have not been either, but I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I'll do my best and I'll report back. (laughs) I like it. Stay tuned, (laughs) y'all. All right. Now, can you tell us, or not tell us, we know. Can you tell everyone else where they can find us? Hey guys, we wanted to take a moment to thank everyone for tuning in. We truly appreciate your support and feedback. We encourage you to reach out with any suggestions for future topics, with questions, or requests for clarifications. If you're enjoying the podcast, give us a rate and a review. If you're not enjoying it, give us your feedback, but maybe skip the review. Give us a follow on Instagram at the hand that feeds us, or send us an email at handthatfeedsus at gmail.com. And keep tuning in. You can listen to us wherever you find your podcasts.